Welcome to BIV Today. I'm reporter Tyler Orton. And look, the pandemic, it's been cranking up stress levels across the globe for the past year. And as working from home becomes the new norm, we might be wondering how people like workaholics are adjusting to these changes and how everyday people can just adjust their own stress levels to, I think, something that's a little bit more healthy. Today's guest is offering some insights into all of that on Tuesday, March 9th, through a lecture aimed at tackling these kinds of pressing questions. And joining us today is Lika Tenbrumelhaus. She's an associate professor at SFU's BD School of Business. Lika, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, let me start with this. How have your stress levels been over the last year? Um, it's funny that you asked that because I actually opened a lecture on Tuesday um, showing how my stress levels have fared over the year of 2020. Um, and there is a clear spike. I don't want to give away too much yet, but there is a clear spike in April when schools shut down. Um, so yes, it has been stressful for a while, but the positive news there is that um, after, like human beings are resilient, right? So after we get used to a stressor or maybe try to find ways to cope with it, um, stress levels also can go down again. Um, so honestly, I feel we can't complain um, Elementary schools are still open, so my life is pretty good at the moment. Well, it's interesting. How much is uncertainty one of those factors when it comes to stress levels? Well, human beings like to be in control. So being out of control is a huge contributor to feeling stressed. And a lot of what we're going through now with COVID is completely beyond our control. Like we don't know when we get the vaccine, we don't know how effective it is. We don't know, like there's all these questions, right? So that definitely adds to people's stress. And then I'm only talking about the direct impact of COVID and the illness and the vaccine, but also think about people with businesses who now might have less of an income or less clientele. So there's also the financial worries and stress that, that comes on top of that. So it is, it is clear, like, Research is being published at a very rapid pace on what COVID does to us and what it does to our stress. And it's very clear that it increases our stress levels. So stress is something that you studied in depth. I don't know if the average person would be able to recognize how to cope with those sorts of issues. Like, I, I, Do you find yourself thinking about it, being self-aware of when you're going through stress and being able to address it somehow? Yeah, I think part of my... Why I'm so intrigued with stress is that, um, well, I like to observe my own behavior, my own responses to stress and effective ways of how, how to do that. So it, like in general, I'm very data and measurement driven. So it's not only in when I send out questionnaires and surveys to verify, like, is this how people in general deal with stress? But it's also my own day-to-day -day life where you can experiment with what if I find something very stressful, such as like dealing with an interview or giving a lecture, um, how, what are positive ways to view it so that it doesn't seem as scary anymore, but that it can be seen more as a challenge. So a lot of times it has to do with perspective, like how can we tweak things so that we see them in a more positive light. Um, that's obviously not always possible because sometimes just really things are really uh, stressful. So then the focus shifts more on what do we do after such a stressor? Like, how can we come back from it and how can we recover from it? 
What are some of the kind of common triggers that you found in your research that kind of creates stress in just day-to-day life for people? Um, so the unknown, like what we talked about, it's like not being in control of life is a very big one. Um, and that applies to work as well. So not having a lot of autonomy, as we call that, or control over when you work, how you do your work, and what, what location you do your work. So we see that the more control people have, the generally um, their stress levels go a little bit down. Um, but it really is the balance between how much job demands you have and how many resources you have to cope with them. So you have a lot of work to do for a while that can be fine as long as you have the skills and the support around you to deal with that. But at the moment when uh, there is a misfit or a bal- imbalance between that, so you have so much work to do and there is no way that you can get it done because you don't have the skill set or there's no one to help you, um, then that is going to create a lot of stress. Do we need to find that kind of perfect work-life balance. It seems very difficult as more of us are working from home. I'm guilty of it. I will check my emails throughout the day, even if you know my, I'm done working, done writing stories for the day. I don't know, uh, six, seven, eight o'clock, I, I'm just checking in my emails. Do, do we need to find that right balance to make sure that our stress levels aren't going into levels that are unhealthy? Yeah, I think setting clear boundaries is another great example of how we can uh, reduce our stress levels. And Obviously, this differs a little bit from person to person of what your preferences are. Like some people really want to have a clear boundary, like they go to work, um, if that is still possible at the moment. But let's say even if they work from home, they shut down at five, and then there is time for non-work activities or non-work life. For other people, that boundary is less um, clear. Um, and I think you got to ask yourself, like, is that what works for you? Is that really what you want? Or would it be better if you also communicate to others around you, again, if that's possible, that after 6 p.m., you're not gonna check your email anymore. Um, So I think what it really comes down to is that an individual, like everyone can for themselves assess, like within my kind of profession or within my job, obviously there are restrictions of what's possible, um, but what can I do to set a clearer boundary so that work remains work and life outside of work really can be Um, enjoyed as life outside of work without work completely um, like interrupting all the time. I think we all know people or are friends with people that are that certain personality type where they live to work, you know, they're the workaholics. And I'm wondering how, maybe broadly speaking though, but how have they been managing this pandemic? Yeah, so workaholism is another topic closely related to stress. And I'll talk about that on Tuesday um, as well. Um, I can answer the question of how it is um, affected by COVID, but um, I think it is really important to underscore that um, there is a lot of misunderstanding about what workaholism is. Um, Many people think that when you work long hours, you're automatically labeled as a workaholic because that's only the behavior that other people can see, right? So it is logically that people then think this person must be a workaholic. But there is a clear difference between someone who works long hours, and that could be for a variety of reasons, and someone who continuously chooses to work longer than financially necessary and longer than um, even expected from people around them. Um, So workaholics are really people who have an inner drive to work really hard and have almost a compulsive drive to do that. So they would feel guilty when they're not working, 
And um, they would, for instance, take their laptop on vacation because they really don't want to disconnect. Now, over to the question of how COVID would have affected workaholism. Again, that really depends on everyone's personal situation. Um, like there are, again, like in BC currently, we're pretty um, well, happy or pretty pretty luxurious that most of the schools are open. Um, and so there is less a situation where we have to juggle homeschooling with, um, with work, but there are still a lot of areas and a lot of countries where that is the case. So those people might not have even like the opportunity to work hard, even if they would want it to. But now move over to people who are not in that demographic and that don't have children or don't have school-aged children. Um, for them, there is a lot less to do at the moment. You don't have those out-of-house out activities that maybe uh, previously you had. Um, and there's only so much Netflix that you can watch. So at some point, people might think, I'm just going to open my laptop again and get this work done. Um, so yes, it is absolutely possible that for some people who have the opportunity, um, work is actually intensified because of COVID because there is not a whole else to do at the moment. I, I wonder if I'm articulating this well, but uh, jump in if there's something that you want to clarify. But is it almost worth maybe judging whether somebody or not, or whether or not somebody is a workaholic? It, not necessarily, as you say, based on the hours work, but maybe kind of the consequences that it's having on their day-to-day -day life, you know, and in like their non-working hours, whether it's maybe uh, time spent or less time spent with family members, for example. Absolutely. And that is honestly like workaholism obviously was coined to make this comparison with other addictions. Like it, it is derived from alcoholism. And um, one key characteristics of an addiction is that you can't stop yourself um, in engaging in that behavior, even though you know that it might not be healthy for you. And I think that parallel, if we draw that with work, it could be that you keep working, even though you notice that you're tired, so it might actually be affecting your health, or even know that this harms your family or other people that are important to you in a way, because you're never there for them, right? So in that sense, yes, I, I would agree that workaholism, especially in, a, in its extreme forms, um, has implications for the person um, themselves, so it could affect their health, and it also has implications, like negative implications, uh, for the people around them. And this might, I think you kind of touched on this, but maybe I'll, I'll go back to this a little bit, but does it seem as if the pandemic has the potential to just kind of accentuate some of those traits since we're working from home? As you say, maybe there's only so much Netflix we can watch. It's just that much easier than when you kind of clock out at the office and drive home for the rest of the day. Yes, and in, in other ways as well, because for many people, um, they work from home at the moment. So the boundary between work and, and non-work life becomes very blurry. Um, plus, you don't have that commute anymore, right? So a commute can be annoying if you're in traffic, but at the same time, psychologically, it's... Um, it helps you switch off from work and gives a very clear physical boundary between, okay, that part of my work day was work and now I'm moving um, to the part of my day where it uh, becomes non-work. So if we don't have that anymore, um, who's gonna tell you to stop them? Because you, at 5 p.m., you were, you were already behind your desk. So you might as well still be there at 7 p.m., right? Um, so yes, those boundaries become more blurry and, and they become easier to just keep working um, because there's also no other colleagues who visibly get up and move um, to their next domain. So drive home. 
what happens to us if we don't manage our stress levels and make sure that we are you know maintaining them at healthy levels so there are a couple of uh, implications what i've done in my research um like when, when i started doing research on stress and workaholism i was mainly looking at um well-being so i would look at how depressed people would be feeling their burnout levels so these are what we call more the objective or no sorry the subjective experience of well-being quality of life if you will and research clearly shows that stress reduces quality of life because people ruminate more have more difficulty sleeping and might be more vulnerable for getting a burnout then after that, I moved on to more objective measures of health and um, found in a study that workaholics, because they keep their stress levels so high all the time and don't recover, um, actually have higher risk for cardiovascular diseases um, and report um, more psychosomatic complaints such as headaches or neck pain. Um, so there is there is a little bit of both, right? Like there is um, on our mental health, there is an implication, but also we see this clear link, link with physical health. Well, you mentioned earlier that maybe us workers, we can manage our own boundaries if we want to you know, manage these stress levels. But what can employers possibly do to help their employees do that as well? Um, I think the first, the first action really is to recognize who might be at risk for developing um, like a burnout or, or even like more severe implications for health, which are the people who are always obsessively active at work. Maybe those are the people that you can still reach at 9 p.m. on a Friday or like 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Um, so um, employers partially can, can maybe open up a dialogue about what they expect of how often and at what times are you expected to be connected to work. Um, they can set examples themselves. If you're a manager and you're sending out emails on a Sunday evening, that is going to create the expectation that, or, or create a norm even that that's apparently expected of employees as well. And so a lot of these things can be um, helped by clear communication, explain when an employee is absolutely expected to be available for work and when um, they can focus on other life domains. Well, uh, Lika, I, I think you're going to have a lot of additional great insights to share uh, coming up in a few days. And I, I will make sure that everybody knows where to go. But why don't you uh, share with us as well? Uh, what's the best place to go find out uh, more from this lecture that you'll be doing shortly? Um, so on Tuesday, the lecture is organized by SFU Public Square. So I, if you would, you would Google that, um, you'll get there. And um, if you can share the link, that'd be amazing. Excellent. Well, Lika, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You're welcome. That's Lika Tenbrumelhaus. Uh, she is an associate professor at SFU's BD School of Business. And that is it for the show today. But you can jump on over to BIV.com. More stories, more interviews there. But for now, I'm Tyler Orton, and thank you for listening.